We are today continuing our unique series uh, where we've been talking about what are the things that make our body in particular unique, that make us a little bit different, not because it makes us better necessarily, but because it calls us into mission together. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that at Meredith Drive, one of the things that makes us unique is that men and women stand in leadership together. And so we thought it would only be appropriate if we tag-teamed preach, which we've never done before. So this could be a train wreck. Just, you know, go with that. Uh, but we them. matched shoes. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, that's perfect. Excellent. I said to my wife first thing, I'm afraid we're going to clash. But we did no, it. No, we, we did it. it was, and we did not compare notes, I promise. <laughs> that would be weird. That would be very weird. So, so I was thinking the other day about the first email I got from you. Do you remember it? I remember Yes. I was, uh, I was looking for a new ministry job, and uh, somebody actually here at this campus w- uh, went to college in Orange City where I was pastoring then, and they told mm-hmm. me about this position here. And so I emailed you, mm-hmm. and I said, hey, you, you should probably hire me. Um, <laughs> and uh, just that formally, yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, though, there was another church that uh, I was in conversation with. And so I was having this really awkward situation where it was like uh, two different churches at the same time going through the interview process. And they in were looking fact, for... I remember telling you multiple times, like, he would, he would call me apologetically, like, I'm yes. actually talking to another church. And I'm like, good, that, Honesty, that makes yes. sense. That's helpful. I kept telling him, it's okay to be in two conversations at once. Just be honest about it. Yeah. And so that, you know, that was a great church in Iowa City, and that would have been a fun place to go and things like that. Um, but as the processes continued to move forward and nobody was saying no to me, <clears throat> which was very strange, um, no one was saying no to me. And I was just getting this clearer and clearer sense that there was something important about Meredith Drive that was unique, not to be totally cliche, but there was something important about Meredith Drive that was totally unique. It was totally different. And it was something that was resonating deeply with me. And it wasn't true at this other church. It wasn't true at this other congregation. And that thing was the mutuality of genders in leadership positions. It was working with and for a female lead pastor. And that was something I didn't grow up with and something that was very appealing to me as I was going through this process of trying to figure out which call I would kind of accept. You know, and it, it actually makes sense to me that intuitively you were drawn to that. I grew up in a similar uh, kind of home. I did not grow up with uh, the possibility of women being in ministry. But the longer uh, I wrestled with that idea and dug into scripture, what I really began to understand and see was that actually I think that was God's design from the very beginning. You see, if we open up and we understand the very first chapter of Genesis, we see that God actually says, I'm going to make humankind in my image as a reflection of who I am. And you'll notice it says, let us make humankind in our image. The first thing you should notice about that is we, as people who follow Jesus, believe that the Godhead is shared. It's not just God. It's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all working in mutual submission together. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that the image of God wouldn't simply be one, but it would be two. And so God says, let us make humankind in our image that they may rule and have dominion. 
And the next sentence, so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that was the beginning of really, for me, understanding that's how God's heart designed it. That it was not sort of this, well, okay, women, you fill the earth, and men, you rule over it. That together we were created to exercise authority on God's behalf. And that picture that something unique happens when men and women stand and uh, there is a fullness of the image of God that comes. So if you know the story of Scripture, um, you know what happens right after this. Everything's great in the garden. God's creates, uh, God creates men and women together to rule over the garden, to have dominion over the earth, to, to live in mutuality with one another. He even says it's not good for man to be alone, right? Uh, men and women need each other inherently. Uh, and so God is uh, in this business of creating this mutuality and then the fall. This is the story of Scripture, right? We have creation. God makes everything. He orders it the right way. He orders it the way that he intends it to be. And then... We, right, in Adam and Eve, we, humankind, choose to think we know better than God. That's always the story, again and again and again. It's the story in Genesis, but it's the story of our own lives, if we really think about it, that sometimes we're going in according to God's plan, and things are going well, and things are ordered the way God wants, and then we choose to go our own way. We choose our way over God's way, and that's what Adam and Eve did. They believed that they had a better plan, and so they ate of the fruit, they did this thing that God had told them not to do, and what happens is the fall. What happens is God comes and says, now things are broken. The mutuality that I intended when I created the garden, the mutuality that I intended for all of creation, really, is going to fall apart. And then God says, here's the curse. That's pretty heavy language, all right? But it's important for us to know that this is what God says the curse is. This is not God's right ordering of things. This is part of the curse. And women, probably the beginning of this will resonate with you as a curse. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. That's part of the curse. It's not the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to have this pain. And then it goes on. Your desire will be for your husband... And he will rule over you. And there's a lot of conversation about what that means. Your desire will be for your husband. Is this like, you will really love your husband? You'll really think great of your husband? And a lot of people think, no, actually this means your desire will be to have what your husband has. That's part of the curse. And then your husband will rule over you. That's part of the curse as well. This is not the intended order of things. That men and women should be fighting over power dynamics. That men and women should be fighting about uh, who's going to have authority and who's going to be in charge. And so what happens after the fall is that the dynamics, the power dynamics between the genders get all twisted. They get all been out of shape and they are no longer going according to the way God intended. And that's the fall. But... Again, if you know the story of Scripture, we're lucky because God never stops working toward redemption. No, in fact, God always pursues. I had a professor one time who talked about that in the fall, everything got broken. Everything got broken. Our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, our relationship between the genders. And part of what we see is the faithfulness and the grace of God is over and over and over again. God keeps pursuing and inviting us in to that restoration that happens. And so one of the things is that it can be tricky sometimes, and part of the reason it took me a couple of years to wrestle this in Scripture was because I 
I actually wanted to impose our culture onto the culture of Scripture. And one of the things I think is important for us to understand is that the Word of God was written to a particular group of people at a particular time. And then our job is to actually understand what it was saying then so that we can rightly apply it today. What I, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that Scripture doesn't apply to every culture because it does. But one of the things we have to do when we read Scripture is understand the culture to which it was written. And for example, most of the Old Testament, the culture was highly, highly, highly patriarchal. Women were treated as property. Men had multiple wives. I'm not sure how that worked. I'm not even sure it was really good, right? But multiple wives, harems, it's, it's a mess. And into that, God's word was always speaking dignity and life and value over women. And even in that context, we see examples of mutuality. For example, uh, the Exodus, one of the most famous stories of the Old Testament. And most of us think about the people of Israel being led by Moses. But if you actually read the story, you see there was a, a, tri a triad of leadership, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In fact, in Micah, you're gonna, you read that God says, I sent these three leaders ahead of you. And so interestingly enough, we see as early as the Exodus, men and women leading together. Now, of course, a lot of people think of Deborah, who was the functionally the king or the uh, ruler of Israel at the time, and the general, Barak. But this third example is one I really love. Actually, it's one of the Old Testament kings. The word of God had gotten lost. I mean, literally, it got buried in uh, the, the temple. They forgot about it. Josiah finds the Old Testament, and he recognizes this is important. Now, there were several prophets, male prophets, who were working at the time. Men like Jeremiah, men like Zephaniah, Nahum. I mean, we have books named after them. He had all kinds of people who he could have gone to. But he goes to a woman, prophetess, named Huldah. And she's the one who says, hey, Josiah, this is the word of the Lord. She teaches him what it means. And then the whole country experiences revival. See, I love the, one of the last prophecies of the Old Testament. The prophet Joel is speaking about there's a day coming. A day coming when things will change, where things will begin to, in a new way, be made new. When the Spirit will be poured out. And one of the ways you're going to recognize that is through mutuality that that spirit will get poured out on men and women. That's how you'll know. And in fact, Jesus comes and he is radical for his time. Jesus comes and he does things like speaking to women in public. Shocking, right? <laughs> well, that's not shocking to us because in our culture, of course, women and men speak to each other in public. But when Jesus came, Actually, men were not permitted to speak to women in public. And Jesus not only speaks to women, he has substantive conversations with them. He tells them who he is. The first person Jesus told who he was was a woman next to a well who was not a Jew. That is mind-blowing at that time. You have to understand how radical that is. Um, he used women as positive examples in his teaching. Again, that would have been unheard 
unheard of in that day. Pharisees always made men the hero of the story. And Jesus told parables about women who searched for lost coins. And he gave all kinds of examples about that included women as positive, in positive ways. He even welcomed women as disciples. And I don't have time to go into the details of all those. If you have questions about all of this, feel free to text Johnny <laughs> or me. Just kidding. That's men and women working Absolutely, together. Yeah. You got that, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, uh, in the New Testament, we see more examples of it. We see Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they were a couple in the New Testament who really became the first coaches of pastors in the new church. We have um, Andronica and Junia, who Paul describes both as apostles. Now, here's the messed upness of our culture sometimes. I grew up reading a Bible that was translated, right, by human beings who looked at that passage and said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no way that could be a woman, even though in the Greek it is in female tense. And so they made it a male name. And it wasn't until later that I realized the earliest manuscripts, the most reliable ones, it was actually Junia, a woman who was described as an apostle. And then, of course, Paul and Phoebe. Paul, in the, when he writes the letter of Romans, actually the first person he commends is a deaconess named Phoebe. And there are a lot of scholars who believe that she actually carried the letter of Romans to the church and explained it. See, Paul says it this way in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God is relentlessly inviting those of us who bear his image to represent the fullness of that image in the work, in our homes, in our ministry, men and women standing together. So we're tracking. God makes it good. We mess it up. It's like my life, okay. Um, God makes it good. We, we choose ourselves over God's best. And then God works to redeem anyway. God gives the Old Testament law that makes women have a higher status than any of the cultures that were around them. God, uh, through the New Old Testament and New Testament, lead, brings women into leadership positions to lead the church, to lead his people. So there we go. That's a nice story. Let's go home. We're good Let's to go, go right? There's no problems here. Except there's problems here. This is a good news, bad news situation because as much as God is pressing his people and often pulling his people along toward his best intentions for them, um, we don't always get on board. We don't always get on board with the plans of God. It's difficult to look at history, the history of the Bible and our current history, and, and, re and think to ourselves that, yes, everything is as God intended it to be between men and women. The genders are good. They're good to go. So Suzanne just gave all these examples, beautiful examples, throughout Scripture of men and women in mutuality with one another. But there are counterexamples throughout Scripture as well. Abraham, the... Abraham's like the big dude, man. Like, he's like the patriarch of the whole thing. Abraham passed off his wife, Sarah, as his sister, not once, but two times, to try to get uh, something for himself, to try to get some wealth, to try to get some power, whatever it is. His poor wife is over here, and uh, he's passing her off as his sister, treating her like she's property. Cold. Cold. It is cold, man. I don't think you could do that now. Uh, he's trying to pass her off like property, to try to get what he wants. This is Abraham, for goodness sake. You would think that this guy would have it down. There's a story of a, a guy named Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar, 
And it's a really messed up story. Tamar is supposed to deserve some inheritance. She's supposed to deserve some help from the family. And instead, Judah and his sons, they do everything they can to withhold it from her. They try to keep it away from her. They don't treat her the way that she's supposed to be treated. We know the story of David and Bathsheba. It's not the story of a vixen who seduces the king. This is the story of a king who went and took what he wanted, who treated a woman like she was just something that he could go and conquer and take for himself. These are messed up stories, and they run all through Scripture. You get to the New Testament, and there's, there's stuff in there as well where you just stop and say, this is not the way God intended. This is not how God planned for things to go. We, as God's people, aren't always on board with the plans of God. And one way that is um, current that I couldn't shake thinking about uh, as I got thinking about all of this and about the way that that we uh, ignore the way God orders things is uh, in 2017, this whole thing started called the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement. Now, it's 2019, so uh, it immediately became political and divisive, and some of you are mad that I brought it up, so that's cool. Um, (laughs) But here we are. Uh, The Me Too movement happens. And no matter what you think about the Me Too movement, I'd like you to just think for a second about this. Because women all over the country, hundreds of thousands of women came forward and told stories of the way that they'd been mistreated. From from things like little slights in the workplace and and harassment to, to really serious allegations of ways that they had been mistreated by the men around them. And no matter what you think politically, you you have to stop and say, that's a lot of evidence. That's a lot of women who are saying to us, these things are not as God intended them to be. And then from the Me Too movement, there was something else that happened. It was called the Church Too movement. Much smaller. Uh, This was primarily just among churchgoers, so it's a much, much smaller thing. A lot of people haven't heard of this. But it was the same thing, except for women were writing about what had happened to them in the context of church. This place where we gather together to express God's best intentions became a place for women and and is a place for women in so many parts uh, where they are not treated the same way as men, where they are mistreated by men, where they are abused oftentimes by men. And there's horrible stories that come out of this Me Too and this Church Too. And what they show and what they demonstrate is that we are not getting in line with God's plan. That if God's hope is mutuality, if God's design is mutuality, if God's uh, intent is mutual submission, that we would work together and be with each other and bring all of our gifts to bear and put them together for the sake of the kingdom of God, if that's God's best intention, if we just look at things like Me Too and Church Too, we can very easily see that we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. And ultimately... That brought me all the way back to thinking about the story of when I came here. Because it wasn't the only deciding factor to to choose this church instead of choosing that church. But it was a factor. Mm -hmm. This idea that I could go someplace that practiced mutuality, that practiced mutual submission, that I could be part of a staff that was doing that thing that I believe best reflected the kingdom of God. And so it was an easy decision when it came down to it for me to come and be part of what we're doing here at Meredith Tribes. Which is crazy because I warned him, this is a hot mess. <laughs> we're figuring it out as we go. We are learning. We're trying some new things. But I'm really grateful today for a history and a, 
and a church that has been practicing this for a long time. You know, the statistics say that only 10% of churches in the whole country are led or co-led by a woman. 10%. And uh, one of the reasons I think we were able to do that together, one of the things that makes Meredith Drive unique is because there has been this history and legacy of women and men and the fullness of what that looks like together. You know, I would encourage you this afternoon, there's going to be a video online. How many of you remember Pastor Jane Brown? She worships with us still, she and Jerry. Uh, Sarah Gregory, one of our other women on staff, interviewed Pastor Jane about her experience of being called into ministry, and that's going to be on our website. They talked for 40 minutes. It was beautiful. And I know that I stand here today because Tony and Jane ministered together, and Jill and John ministered together, and many of you, men and women, have served as elders and deacons together, and every month when our administrative board gathers together, we stand as men and women together. This has been part of our practice, and I think it's one of the ways that we uniquely are invited to express the kingdom of God to those around us. Now, I want you to know that this makes a difference. This last week, I, uh, we had summer blast at the Meredith Drive campus, or our block party, sorry. Old name, same idea. And uh, I had a chance to visit with a ton of people. I focused mostly on visiting with our neighbors. Uh, and so I ended up having a long conversation with three siblings who live right off the back of our field. They came out of, it was like they came children out of the woods, right? Um, And so uh, they are a family that left Iraq 10 years ago. Uh, The oldest uh, daughter is 15, uh, and then 13, and then 10. Uh, And we had this long conversation about what it looked like to be a she, in particular, talked about what it meant to be a young woman in the United States and how complicated that is. She's Muslim, and uh, she has actually some health challenges, and we talked about how difficult it could be. And then uh, a little bit further into the conversation, she, she turned and she said, so what do you, what do, you do? And... Uh, I smiled, and I said, well, actually, I'm the pastor of that church over there behind us. She looked at me, and she said, are you serious? With this big grin on her face. And I said, yeah, I am. And she sat back, and she said, that is pretty cool. (laughs) And I thought, yes, yes, it is. Not because it's pretty cool that I, I mean, I feel privileged that I get to stand here. But the truth is, is that I grew up in a time and in a home where it was easier for my grandmother to look at me and say, you know what, one day, girl, you're going to be the president or a missionary. She could not. Now, now mind you, both of those are awesome, all right? I, I think it's kind of stunning that she could see me as president but could not see me as pastor. And today, I love that there are little boys and little girls who sit in this room 
and see us doing this together. I love that there is a generation growing up in this church who could imagine themselves, whether male or female, becoming a pastor, stepping into ministry, that there are not spaces they could not imagine God calling them into. And that is such a gift. And I think it's powerful as we keep reaching out to our neighbors for whom they will be working together, male and female, in their market, in the workplace, in wherever they are, um, that expression will be lived out. Is there anything yes. else you want to say? <laughs> no, I, if you, you know, if you've been here literally one time before this, you know that for me, it's all about the mission of the kingdom of God. And so what is this unique series about? To me, it's about saying we're unique and uh, we're unique for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this expression of men and women together is a testimony to, it's a witness to, it's a beacon to the culture around us. And it says the kingdom of God is alive and active in this place. What's happening here is spirit-led and is only possible by way of the Spirit. Because any relationships are difficult. But when you're choosing mutual submission, and across genders and across all sorts of other lines, uh, when you're choosing mutual submission, it's not always the easiest thing in the world. But it's, if it's Spirit-led, then it creates a church and it creates a culture that pushes us out on mission for the kingdom of God. And so I love it. I love being part of this church. I love working for, I say for, uh, Pastor Suzanne. And with Pastor Suzanne. Yeah. Uh, and I love being unique here. Awesome. Let me pray for us. God, we delight in the fact that you in your own personhood, in the fullness of the Trinity, created men and women to stand together. That you invite us. You share your heart, your ministry, your passion for the world with us. And I pray this morning that we would continue to be women and men who together bear your witness, demonstrate your heart, show the world who you are through our humility, through our mutuality, through the ways that we often imperfectly walk forward in discipleship and worship. Thank you for this opportunity today, and I thank you for the, particularly the women in this room and in this church and in the history of this body who stepped forward in courage who said yes to serving as elders and deacons and pastors in a time when that was more difficult and, and at times even challenging. I thank you for the ways that you are inviting us into the future where together we uh, are called to love you and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.